Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Basin Binge as we continue our binge through Transformers, the live-action series. Continue with it, the fantastic grade-A film that is Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Of course, joined by the wonderful Matt and Rob from Matt Goes to the Movies. Thank you again for joining me, especially for a movie like this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think you should thank us. I, but <laughs> so, quick story, Matt forgot that we were taking a week off in between recordings and watched this movie a week earlier than he had to. And I just laughed that Matt had to carry the stink of this movie one week longer than he needed to. He had to have this topical on the front of his mind to be able to talk about it one week longer than necessary. I watched it last night, so I didn't have to hold on to it for too long. (laughs) I'm curious, Matt, did you watch it a second time? I was just going to say, spoiler <laughs> alert, ladies and gentlemen, I watched this again Tuesday, so <laughs> oh! I watched it two times. Oh, my wow. God. I'm so curious if the second was better. Wow. Okay. <laughs> We're going to have to get into it. Um, interesting. Okay. Well, well, let's just but let's get into it with the first segment that is two cents. This is totally spoiler free. Uh, I mean, also, do you really care about spoilers? For this movie, like if you're listening to this podcast and you're worried about spoilers for this movie, you are a unique individual, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm just kind of shocked, but we'll keep it spoiler free nonetheless. Um, so let's have Matt go first since he just seems to be know so much about this movie, having watched it twice. <laughs> so yeah, my spoiler free thoughts on, on on this movie are: it went from in my my recent rewatches from being something that I could laugh off and go, it was insane to me how far in my eyes, this fell from the first one, but I get laughs out of it, whatever. It's kind of funny. And how did this happen? I know there was a writer strike during this and everything, but rewatching it, I, I really have changed my tone. I'm like, Oh, I can watch it and laugh because it's funny to, this is a really bad movie. It has really bad pacing. It has really, really bad. Ju- so bad pacing, really bad dialogue, super offensive dialogue that is supposed to be funny and is just insanely childish. It reuses shots from the first movie. It's completely lazy. And I just don't, outside of a couple of scenes, I don't think there's anything fun about this movie. Um, If you liked it, where we said the first Transformers movie was pretty coherent. Rob, I know was, we were both surprised really with his thoughts on the first one, Um, but it was a coherent movie. It didn't go crazy over the top. This movie literally, it's like they just gave Michael Bay just a, bag of cocaine and said film 
because like (laughs) everything that was sort of subtle about the first movie is ramped up a hundred times in this one. And the characters that you liked now become annoying. The military, which was actually felt pretty good in the first movie, they have people that are ramped up and are just a-holes for the sake of having some sort of tension or conflict on screen. Um, yeah, I I was really shocked at how much of this movie actually I felt was just not no longer it's so bad it's good is just this is bad. Like this is a really bad movie in my opinion. Okay, wow. Um, Rob, we'll let you go next. Yeah, so going to share a lot of similar things uh, in just general tone to what Matt said. The movie is way too long. There are a string of terrible decisions that are made throughout this film. Um, And it even really starts right at the beginning. We have a continuation of what was so stupid and audience insulting about the last one, trying to pretend like these giant robots just didn't attack the public. And now they've got a whole wing of the military that's this international treaty devoted just to hunting down the remaining Decepticons and having robot battles in populated areas that are crashing through some Taiwanese dude's kitchen and he's just still eating his noodles like, oh, whatever. Like, and we're supposed to pretend like they're trying to keep this secret from the public. The movie starts off insulting the audience. It And it really like when you start off that bad, it's kind of hard to recover from. And and it starts making you ask questions that you don't have answers to. And I found myself writing down a lot of questions that this movie not only doesn't bother to answer because it really can't. Things like why are the Decepticons hiding? What incentive do they have to hide their existence from humanity? They have none. They literally have no incentive to hide their existence from humanity except that that's what the plot needs them to do. So automatically stupid. Like there's, there's just so many stupid things, you know, like, and then the whole nest thing that they're, you know, the humans and the uh, Autobots are working together to fight the Decepticons. I don't understand why they even bother having the humans show up because they're completely ineffective. Every time that they try to fight a, a transformer, they suck at it. They're really not good. Um, both movies, you kind of see them. So it's almost like they have a slider that they want to turn up human effectiveness and human weapon effectiveness and human military effectiveness against Transformers when the plot dictates it. And then when they need them to be impervious to things like tank rounds and bullets, they just pull the slider down and it kind of nerfs the damage. Um, and we see this throughout the film. It, it makes you wonder, like. These these military minds, they they fly the helicopters way too close and that gets taken out right away. You're like, why are you doing this? This is so stupid. Um, There are some things that work. I think a lot of the things that I liked about the first one. I think I think really the the things that save any aspect of this film are the casting choices and the performances of those actors. So. I would say pretty much any scene that the Wit- the Witwicky family is together, those three together work really well. That's that's a lot of fun. Those three, there's a lot of complex emotions. Um, you know, they're dealing with, uh, you know, Sam kind of becoming a man and going off to college and the parents kind of dealing with that. And then, you know, you see the moment where um, Sam's father feels like he he's losing, he lost his son, you know, and that, and that whole moment, you know, it, it was really actually pretty powerful. 
Um, I, I sort of like Tyrese Gibson um, and Josh Dumel together. I feel like them working with each other has been really good. But overall, and and this this film has probably one of Michael Bay's worst decisions he's ever made in a film uh, ever. Like it's it's inexcusable. It's terrible. It's stomach turningly bad. Um, and and I don't even think I've even got it a half of what's wrong with this movie. And I think I'm out of my two cents time. <laughs> <laughs> this is so interesting. I was going to say this at the beginning and I didn't, but I'll, I'll say it now. I finished this movie and I felt like I needed the two of you to help me understand what was wrong with, with movie. <laughs> this is like therapy. <laughs> <laughs> because, and this is what I'll say as part of my two cents. There is something about the third act, which I'll say the way I watched the movie, it's really, it's long. That's the other thing, like way too long. Um, that I didn't have time to finish it. I got pretty much to the third act, the last hour of the movie. Oh my gosh, the last hour of the movie. <laughs> the last hour, and I had to turn it off. And then I came back to it, and I just watched the third act. And there's something about that third act that works for me on such a good level um, and helped me remember the parts of the movie previously that worked. And now you guys are bringing up the things where I'm like, oh yeah, that didn't work, that didn't work, that it was they were really easy to forget in the third act. Um, so this is good. It's helping me remember the pathetic parts of the movie because there, there is a lot of it that this is just stupid. Doesn't make any sense. It's not necessarily like the other movies that happens a lot where they're totally going back on any of the lore of Transformers. It, it's just like decisions by people don't make sense. And, and like it, I feel like there's so much of this, especially in the, thir- the third act in a positive way, but throughout the entire movie in, in a kind of negative way that is extremely anime. The storytelling is really, really anime in some ways, where that it moves too quickly without earning any of it a lot of the time. And it's just like, we are going to make this happen because we want a cool action scene. And then Michael Bay just goes full Bayham. And it doesn't take very long to get to that. And so you can tell that there wasn't a writer here to keep him in. I feel like Michael Bay was like, we've got a writer strike and I've got $200 million and I can go do whatever I want. And he did. And there's parts of that that work. And then there's parts of it that just really, really don't. And I would say the parts of it that work are mainly what we talked about before, which Rob mentioned the actors and their performances, uh, especially um, the continually objectified Megan Fox's Michaela continues to be like the most human part of these movies, surprisingly. Um, and then I would say the action sequences sometimes. That's the other problem. Like, like one of the best parts of the Transformers movies is the Transformers actions. And there's parts of these that I want to love. And there's other parts of it that like makes me want to pull my hair out. And, and Matt also said it really well where I felt like Michael Bay just took everything about the first movie and just cranked it up. Good, bad, in between. Everything was just increased. Like, for example, one of the things I really liked in the first movie was that it was filmed in a way that would make sense within the laws of physics, that the camera was always in a place where a camera logically could be, and it made the Transformers feel larger than life and and captured the scale and the perspective really well. And so sometimes, naturally so, one of the Transformers would go slightly out of frame, or they wouldn't be perfectly framed up in an action scene because that's realistic. And I feel like Michael Bay was like, oh, you like that? Well, we'll just have like Optimus Prime's leg in 90% of the fight. And, and, And like, it's just those types of things that he just kind of went too far on and uh, wasn't, wasn't reined in because he just took that $200 million and went. So, <laughs> uh, I, I will say, if you don't mind really quick, I think 
there's there's one line in this movie that I think really sums it up. And I, I, I still can't believe that they left this in there because it's like you are calling out your own movie. It's right in that third act where he says, look, beginning, middle, end, plot, condense, tell it. That is this movie to <laughs> that, that is this movie to the letter. Like, yeah, it, like stop. And that's that's where we get into problems with these Transformers movies is. I say this for every one of them, except for the first one. You could cut off 30 minutes from each of these Transformers movies and they would instantly be a better film. Would they be a good film? Not necessarily, but they would be better because this movie gives you too much time to think about everything that has happened instead of just being done and over with. Because by the time you get to something good, you have there are times when you have sat through a good I think 35 minutes in this movie where nothing happens of interest and all you get is really bad racial stereotypes, really bad jokes. And you're just like, I, I don't know. This isn't fun. Like I'm not laughing. I'm not having a good time. And then all of a sudden you're supposed to get this action sequence. That's supposed to be good. And you're like, yeah, whatever. Like it, it just, it kept me out for a lo- long periods of time. That's the other thing is that it takes so long to get to where it's going. Like I, I'm going to stand by it and say there's so much about the third act that works on a phenomenal level for me, surprisingly. Uh, and and I would gladly rewatch that third act again, but it takes so long to get there that I think if I, I think I benefited from watching it the way that I did, where where I got the payoff without having to endure the setup. If that makes. Um, so yeah, there's a two cents. This is going to be an interesting podcast. So fun segment here with this one, where whenever we have guests on the shows, we guess, or who is going to like it the least or rummage for the rotten, which is the name of this segment where we get a guess who is going to be the rotten, who's going to be the person that gives us the lowest rating out of five. Now, if you don't remember on the transformers episode, we all rated these, what we would assume they were. So for revenge of the fallen, I gave it one and a half man. Rob both gave it one out of five. That's what we gave it before. Um, but we're going to rate it at the end. And that end rating is what's going to determine the rotten. Um, so we'll just go in the same order we did for Two Cents, Matt, Rob, then myself. Who do you think is going to be the rotten? Uh, I do believe it is going to be me. I also think it's going to be Matt, actually. I, uh, going into this, I thought for sure it was going to be me. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's Matt. I agree. It's going to be Matt. No doubt. Like, it's not like I think it's just going to be. It's a fact. Well, he did have to watch it twice. So he endured <laughs> that burden. He, he, uh, he was the one that, that got spoiled in the negative way uh, <laughs> to become rotten. Literally. So I was uh, so happy to like you could probably feel like a gleeful smile in my text message. Like, oh, man, I'm so excited for tonight. And you're like, we're we're taking a week break. And I was like. Oh man, <laughs> I felt so bad too. Like, like any other week, I would have just been like, "Oh yeah, we're taking a break." But like, it like took some oomph to be able to send that text and be like, "Oh, I'm sorry." So, yeah, Matt, I, I did we, it to myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So now, kind of to just reveal what we guess in rooms for the run. The next segment, pick your poison, is a rating scale here at the Basin Binge, all about the bingeability of the film. Would you choose to? Never watch it again. Self-explanatory. Above that, you would stream it. Um, and 
you're just streaming it is your it's on a service you're paying for you're looking for something to watch when you're browsing you would click on it above that is rented in the right circumstances you'd pay a few bucks and buy it or are you like matt where you own it and you're gonna watch it once a week <laughs> um that's the top of the list to buy it um i will go first and this is a weird rating where i would buy this movie for two reasons one because i'm a collector and there's something i like about collecting and two you can normally find this movie on sale everywhere the other reason is that i really really enjoyed that third act uh matt i think you called it like the youtube effect where like you you wouldn't necessarily watch the whole movie but you would youtube a scene and you'd be like oh yeah i want to watch this scene that's like the entire third act for me and i wouldn't want to have to go through the trouble of looking up clips on youtube like i would just want to like put in the the blu-ray and and go to scene selection and and watch the third act so for that reason it, it really works for me that well that i i will watch that part again but the first Part of the movie is never watching. So, uh, Rob, what what is your rating? You know, to say never watch it again is is really a, a low ranking. I, I would probably stream it, but I I don't even think I feel confident saying that because I I struggle to think about the circumstances where I'm at a point in my life where I go, you know what, I really want to watch right now. Revenge of the Fallen. Let me fire that up somewhere. Let me <laughs> only when you have friends that, that make you. <laughs> right. Um, honestly, if it were not for doing it for this show, I might have already seen it the exact number of times I will see it in my life. Um, so whatever that number was, add one because I watched it last night. Um, that's that's the exact number of times I will likely watch this movie in my lifetime. All right, Matt. Uh, yeah, this is. Uh, I have two. Two movies, uh, spoiler alert, that I will give this rating to uh, as we do these Transformers movies. And this is a never watch again for me. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it, it, there's no reason. Now, if I was with a group and they said they threw it on, sure, I'm not going to like walk out and be like, I'm leaving. I'll be outside in the yard or playing in traffic. Like, call me when the movie's <laughs> over. Uh, but there's, for me, there's no reason for me to ever turn this on. Um, like again, so yeah, this is a, uh, a never watch again for me. Makes sense. I, I'm assuming that the other one is a never watch again is Transformers last night, right? Yes. <laughs> We're going to make you watch it again anyway. So yeah. That's <laughs> um, all right. Well, so there we go. I'm like this weird defunct though where there's just part of the movie that works super well for me but i'm right there with you with the rest of the movie where it's like especially like like doing a transformers binge to to use the name of the show that's something that just knowing myself i could see myself doing in a few years right and i wonder how much of my distaste towards this is am i gonna remember Mm. and probably because i'm having this conversation and then i'm gonna spend the time to edit it and and have the conversation like put in my brain i can imagine myself years from now doing the binge of, of transformers and just be like yeah i'll just watch the third act like just genuinely skipping the whole first two-thirds of the movie um which is tells you the quality of it so on to the next segment which is live up talking about our expectations for the movie how astronomically high they were and how poorly this movie did not live up to them um so my expectations actually i want to go last with it because my expectations uh, we'll let you go first, Rob. We'll start with you and then Matt and then myself. I had very, very low expectations coming into this. I, um, very low because I remember this movie being terrible um, because this movie is terrible. But um, 
I kind of, I think I accepted that before I turned it on and just kind of said, okay, it's, it's not supposed to be a good movie. So if you watch it through that lens, it was never intended to be good. Um, I, I, it, it met my expectations. I, I think it actually exceeded my expectations. I had more of, fun of with expectations this. of being bad. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. I actually had more fun with this. Um, than I thought I was going to. And again, it might've just been, I was sitting watching with my son. Um, it might've been the strong beverage in my left hand throughout most of this. Um, you know, I, th- I think a lot of it was just, I, I didn't expect it to be good and it wasn't. And I really focused on the parts that, um, that were, that were good. And I think I just genuinely laughed at the stupidity of some of the parts that were bad. Um, you know, like just right out of the gate when you've got Megan Fox, who's airbrushing um, a motorcycle and she's she's not actually doing it the way you would like work on it. If you're an artist, she's she's doing it as though there is legitimately a pinup photographer right behind her the whole time. And and that's how the movie starts. And you're just going, nope, this is this is just going to be stupid and terrible. <laughs> but whatever. Let's laugh, guys. It it makes it even worse for the fact that like what? <sighs> You're doing that at your dad's shop in front of all of his yeah. supposed biker friends, like with literally who the shortest cons. shorts you can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are, they're all like ex-cons. Like, what a safe group of uh, male adults to do that around. Like, what? <laughs> well, she's she's yeah. whispering the word camshafts in front of her father. Like, what? <laughs> like, good God, what yeah. are you doing? Um, yeah, I mean, it just kind of gets worse from there. You know, like the Dyson, where, where exactly does the Dyson company hide the missiles inside their vacuums for when the AllSpark turns it into something? All of a sudden now it has gunpowder and lead and primers and shells and all of the other things you need for, you know, for guns, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, just little stuff like that. You ask these questions and you don't really have answers. And you just, for me, this time around, I was just sort of able to laugh at the stupidity of it and not and not worry about it as much as I thought I was going to. All right. Well, I will actually go next and I'll let you go, Matt, first, because my expectations are very similar. Hearing you talk specifically, Matt, you talk about this movie on the last episode and then seeing this is this is not the lowest rated Transformers movie. I had a picture of it. I think it's the second, according to Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Say what you will about that, but let's see. It is the Oh, excuse me. Third lowest trans, uh, of the Transformers movie. Last night at 16, Edge of Extinction at 17, this one at 20. So, I mean, not far off. Um, which Dark of the Moon is at 35, a whole 15% better. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just just like having all of those thoughts and like expecting just horrendous, horrendous. And then, it, I mean, it wasn't that way. Like, it wasn't great. There was definitely a lot of parts of it that were bad throughout the entire movie. Um, but so like it just never met that level of badness that I was expecting. And then the I'm gonna keep saying this of like a broken record, the third act just worked extremely well for me and exceeded any expectations I could have had for this. So maybe I just need to separate my like affair I'm having with the third act from the rest of the movie. But there there's something about that that really worked. But I would say that it didn't meet my expectations of badness. So maybe it exceeded my expectations that it was better than I thought it was gonna be. Because I was just expecting it to be so bad, and it just—it was bad. It just never got to so bad. If if you get what I'm saying, uh, yeah, eloquence here at the basement. So Matt, yeah. So I I do want to kind of 
go back for one second with live up here and say, you know, this movie originally came out in 2009 and Rob, you probably remember this, but you know, this was back before Marvel was a box office juggernaut and things like this was when midnight releases happened. This wasn't when Thursday night they have showtimes at four o'clock in the afternoon before the massive Friday release. You know, this was a huge blockbuster movie event. Midnight, theater packed. Everybody was hyped for this because one thing you can say, you can you can still go back right now and look at the trailer for every one of these Transformers movies and go, God damn, they can put together a good trailer and forget that the movie is junk. Like you can go watch this trailer for Revenge of Fallen and go, oh, that looks like it's going to be good. And so, you know, when I first went to see this, the hype for this was unbelievable. And then I thought when I came back, like, okay, I'm going to watch it again and I'm just going to laugh at how dumb it is. But this time it definitely did not for me, it didn't live up to the expectation of I would watch this and laugh because this time around, I really just focused on how incoherent this movie is. And maybe it was because we just watched the first one. So relatively close to this that I said, Again, you know, the writer strike, whatever it is, how did you go from the first movie seeing seeming in a manner of speaking realistic? Like if this happened, okay, it feels like these are some of the responses to everything. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say everything, but the majority of what happens in this movie or the way that people act, none of it seems real. Um even little things that happen, like, I'm sorry, when they drop Sam off at school and the mom eats a pot brownie, that is Ugh. like, Ugh. whatever you want to do, somebody who has never done pot, that is how they think pot makes people act. <laughs> like, that, like, that is somebody who thinks that's how weed makes you act. And it's it's not. I know plenty of people who do who have smoked weed. That is not how you act. You do not all of a sudden become some 50-year-old thirsty cougar who jumps on people and tells, I'll do anything for an A professor. Like, no, you're on ecstasy. You're not on a pot brownie. Like, <laughs> like that is not how that stuff works. And they can't even do realistic things like that. They can't even in the lecture scene with Ryan, uh, Ryan Wilson, or however you say his name um, from the office. That's the professor. You're kicked out of school, man. Like you're you basically are it like in front of the dean admitting you're probably sleeping with the three girls in the front row who all act like just I'm not I won't say the word like they're eating an apple off the ground. And he's like, finish that for me. like. They can't do anything realistic in this movie. They just they can't. They they can't have realistic dialogue. They they can't have realistic people making decisions. And it was just it was so stunning to me how much this movie falls apart in just seeming at least somewhat real compared to the first one. Some of the scenes you talk about Matt, it makes you think like you go to the screenwriters and you just kind of want to ask the question and go, have you ever seen human beings interact with each other mm -hmm. ever? Just have you ever seen two people talk like just ever at all? 
No, you haven't. Okay, I, it makes a lot more sense now. I mean, like, even the way that one guy who's supposed to have approval from the president and he's shutting down the Nest organization, like, when he shows up, people listening to the podcast, you can't see what I'm about to do, but, like, he shows up and, like, flicks the paper out super fast to the guy at the window to, like, then Like, he had it in a holster. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, I've got presidential approval, and then puts it back in his pocket. Like, if it's presidential approval, it's probably some, like, really boring legal memo. Like, you can't just whip that out and have someone immediately understand what it means. Like... I, the military has red tape beyond what any of us can understand. Like you're not just going to whip out a piece of paper and just about rip it in half with force and just make it through the gate. And, and I, I don't know. It, just and that, he and, immediately, as soon as he's done with that, he goes ahead and runs through a list. He, he says, what do we know? That's the exact line. He says, mm-hmm. what do we know? And the dude runs down a list of exactly every single thing. The Decepticons are looking for because plot, demands it yeah like you know like the the people that are in that room know what's going on so it's just exposition but also too like you're telling like even you know rob you said the humans and the autobots working together and things like that when they first come back from the mission um that opens the movie which again like you kind of start with that and you're like oh my god optimus jumps out of the plane like this is going to be great. Like I remember the, the wind being sucked out of the theater after that scene ended. And like people kind of were starting to realize like what we were getting in the movie. Like you could just feel like the air coming out of the theater when I went all the way back in 2009, but why can't they show Optimus prime on screen? Like that's literally a line in the movie. He's like, uh, due to whatever he says, like, I can't, Ugh. I can't allow you to see the leader of the Autobots, but I want Optimus Prime to talk to you. What the hell? What are you talking about? Like, what? Made no sense. And then to have a sound wave, just like a satellite in space, which that they being a can't reuse footage. At all. Yeah, yeah. The sound wave, there is a scene where it is literally in, in the same movie, mm-hmm. like an hour and a half apart, maybe the same scene reused, like ex- like stroke for stroke in the scene is reused. But but like well, the nobody... Decept- the Decepticons coming to Earth is the shot from the first movie. Oh my, yes. And, and like, and you're just, okay, Soundwave is just suddenly there and he's a satellite and he can hack into your satellite and nobody knows. Nobody, like, like suddenly the Transformers when they hacked into things in the first movie, like set off every alarm known to the military. Mm-hmm. And now that like your super secure satellite is being hacked. Nobody knows. Nobody. Nobody's doing anything about it. Nobody knows nothing. And then when like the, the transformers, they can just go down and resurrect uh Megatron, like no big deal. And then underwater, they just rip apart another one because we need to know that transformers can steal parts from other transformers for the third act later. And put, quickly put them back together, and then the next scene of Megatron is him like on another planet somewhere. Like this guy can travel through space instantly. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it, even the fact of the fallen is you turn Megatron from the first like you just turn him into a puppet in this movie, and even in the. Th- third one he's he's a puppet and it's just like what yeah i I mean even the way they treated 
their characters in this one. It's like you're you're so weak. Like <laughs> it's it's one of the things I hate most about sequels is whenever they introduce like a major plot point that when you go back to the previous film, like that would have never been mentioned. Like Megatron having this previously never mentioned master that he serves, like at no mm-hmm. point does it come up at no point. Is it even alluded to? And you go that it just doesn't make sense. It's terrible. Like it just like, first of all, really, why do they need that character? Like, why do they need Megatron to be like serving him? Mm-hmm. It, it really doesn't. You could have done it without that. And it and it's just kind of dumb. And how does so like one of my other questions again, like logic wise. So first of all, the Megatron that you see in Transformers one, you would never imagine serves anybody. Number two, number two. Why do the Transformers that get born? Why are they immediately Decepticons? I I don't understand it. Why is everything in the house that gets transformed a bad a Decepticon, a Decepticon? Um, And I talked about this with Sam carrying the cube. Why is Sam able to touch the splinter? It flicks him in the eye and gives him epilepsy. Why does that same splinter burn through the house? But not his hand. But not his hand. Not the clothes that it was in the entire time. That that spark's been... And we're also supposed to believe that that spark has been in that hoodie for two years. And just randomly shuffling around, it finally falls out while he's on the phone with his girlfriend. For uh, two years, this this has happened. Also, when Megatron goes to see the Fallen, without Energon, the saplings are going to die. So where do all these Decepticons come from for the the second act and the third act? Where do they all come from? Because they don't have Energon. They don't have it. The The tower's not activated yet. How are all these Decepticons, where did they come from then? How do they have this army in the third act? Because Well, you see, Matt, when a when a daddy Decepticon and a mommy Decepticon <laughs> love each other very much. That sounds like you watched the wrong Transformers movie. A daddy Decepticon. <laughs> but it's the only was, thing that makes sense right, here. But like I was watching some fan fiction or right, something. Like where yeah, where how did those Decepticons happen? Like seriously. Because you see them dying on whatever planet the fallen's on and then why i mean i'll i'll say well let me say my front with it my brain is doing too many things at once why does that little piece of the all spark turn sam into a psycho when he was carrying the full-blown all spark cube and and like nothing happened like why does a shard do this to him but i I, but i will say when he goes crazy shia labeouf is hilarious like that is one thing that works for me him just going bananas is hilarious to me like when he's on the phone yelling at people and like there's something about Shia LaBeouf being a maniac that is entertaining but within the context of the story it's just like what is this like this is just insane I we kind of talked about this last time too but if you have lesser actors attempting this it stands out as being even stupider than it is because his whole like possession thing it makes no sense and the whole the whole story behind that is just stupid Without him executing it the way he does, it would be a lot worse if you can imagine something about this movie somehow getting worse. I I will say the one that happens in the classroom, I think, is really bad. I I think that one's pretty bad. But 
when he is writing on the walls with the paint to get the symbols out of his head. I actually think that's pretty funny. I did laugh at that when he's like, okay, okay. Puzzle on the wall. Great. Great. Um, I thought that was funny. And then I actually did think, um, the, the scene, even though it makes no sense that they would stop and argue, um, where they're running and they're in the library and he's like, you ever have your stomach tongue by a mountain ox? It's not fun for me. Like, I actually, like that was actually, I thought he was funny there. Um, and he puts her in timeout for 10 seconds. I'm not, I'm not talking to you. I love that. Um, Yeah. I love that. Their entire relationship I thought was like, even though this is just dumb, but even the way that, they have like a web chat date. Like there's something about their relationship, especially the performance of two of them that endears me to their relationship. And I cannot believe I'm saying that about a Transformers movie where even <laughs> the way that they're arguing, like I'm, I'm invested in that relationship where it's funny, it's humorous, it's entertaining, but it's also like, Hey, this is their, like their relationships going on. And like, I'm invested in that story of that relationship. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like part of the reason that the third acts works for me is when Michaela is freaking out because Sam's dying like that does get some emotion out of me. Like there's a lot of it that's kind of ridiculous, but Megan Fox's performance that Sam might be dead moves me emotionally. I'm not saying I get to tears, but like there is emotion there that is being felt. And mm-hmm. part of that is the endearment that I have to that relationship throughout the movie. And I think Rob says the best is that somehow these actors, which is strange. I've always loved Shia LaBeouf, but it's interesting that we're, praising the performance of Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox, who are so frequently criticized for bad performances. Mm-hmm. And in, in the movies that are usually used as the reasons for their bad performances, we're pointing out, well, their performances are one of the best parts. And I think that if you look at it, that, that it's true. I think all of us has found that, that that is one of the strong parts of these Transformers movies, to my surprise. I, I do think their relationship is actually totally believable. Um I will say I give them a lot of credit for that. It did feel like a legitimate argument that would happen. Um, even in the beginning when he like doesn't want to say I love you, like it actually makes sense. I'm like, okay, so I can't imagine like I watch a couple of these things and I'm like, so there's no way that the same person that wrote that scene wrote the rest of this movie. Cause how do you, like, I mean, I guess, you know, a broken clock's right twice a day. So maybe that, <laughs> maybe that explains it, but it, there's, there's some things that actually are really good, you know, their relationship. And I mean, I will say it, the, the part where the dad, um, you know, he's talking to him, he's like, you know, it's, it's just going to be hard for your mom because her son's, you know, going off on his own. And it's like, yeah, that really works. And then the scene where he's trying to get his parents out of the desert and the dad's like yelling at him that they'll go together. That's actually really good. Like in all of the chaos and the stupidity that's happening, that is a really, really good scene. And I actually do give a lot of credit to these guys because I, I think with some of the, I mean, there's just nonsense all around in this movie. Um, So to have anything that I was like, really like, yeah, that actually is really good and that works. Um, it's just amplified though for how much I don't like this movie because I'm like, there's I I would almost the whole thing be bad than to have scenes that actually make me stop and go, that was really good. Because yeah, and it's kind of yeah, it's jarring to have sorry to interrupt you, but it's jarring yeah. to have those moments where like this is really good. Especially for me, I keep talking about that third act and and 
their relationship, like these things that really work so well for me. And then to be talking to the two of you and be like, well, there's these other things that are just so bad. Yeah. And, and it is interesting to me how good the performances are. Like even John Turturro, who the character that he's given, I am so sorry, but he makes it work. And like he makes it entertaining and sometimes funny, other times not, but he makes it work. And even the way that, that uh, Tyrese Gibson and Josh Duhome aren't given much to do, like their screen time is pretty minimal. When they're on screen, like I'm feeling their presence, if you get what I'm saying, which is just irritating because you feel that loss when they're not there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, no, and that's, again, because during the third act, I mean, we have giant metal balls clanging around on the screen. Like, <sighs> like to literally put the can- like, it's not even like they wanted you to know that Devastator had balls you could have just had a lo- a wide shot of him climbing the tower and it could have been like wait is that like somebody would have been like i i feel like those were like those were balls that's weird but no like they have to they have to show them then they have to talk about how he's under the enemy's scrotum and it's like i why are you calling that out why you know also how does Bumblebee not realize that that chick is a Decepticon? Yeah, what the heck? Like, what? And she just disappeared. Like, that that Transformer, that Decepticon is just gone. And why does and, she go to that school in the first? Like, why is that Decepticon? Like, that Decepticon has been at that school as that chick because the roommate knows her. And like, then where does her flesh come from? Like, that, trans, that, that sequence where she transforms, like, the visual yeah. effects are, like, mind-blowingly good. It's for 2009, like, oh my gosh, that scene. Every time I watch it, I cannot believe how good it looks. It does. Look, yeah. So why? I legitimately hate absolutely everything about the decision of this character. I hate all of it. I hate every single piece of it. And it starts with the whole concept of Decepticons being able to duplicate people. Once you once you acknowledge that they can do this, um, then you start asking, okay, why don't they just um, why don't they just duplicate a Secret Service agent, mm-hmm. get to the president, swap him, and now they can do anything they want. They were on Air Force One. They can do literally anything they want. Yeah. So once you, re- like, once you realize they have the ability to do that, it, it's, it just opens up all these other things that just don't make sense. It, you know, you wouldn't want them to be able to do this. It's, it's just, it's so terrible. And, and then they don't re- really reuse this much. Um, and it seems like that would literally be the single most effective thing they can do. I hate resurrections. I hate shapeshifters in movies and TV, and we get two of them in this, mm-hmm. like because you can never trust anything. When when people can come back from the dead, the stakes mean nothing, and that's these are kind of the two of my biggest problems with this movie, outside of some of the general tone and poor writing. But the tongue whip is among the stupidest things Michael Bay has ever done in his career. Well, among the stupidest things, it's indefensible. What it is one hundred percent indefensible? What was she going to do with him? Because why are like, get out. Okay. You're in the room. Like why all of that deception? She walks away from Sam so many times that it's like, I, I don't understand what you were supposed to be doing. You wanted information from him, but where are you going to take him from that room? Were you, were you going to kill him? If Michaela didn't come into the room where you go, like, I, I don't understand what that scene is actually supposed to be. Other than and it's 
It's supposed to set up a fight between Sam and Michaela, but you don't even need it. No, like you, you did not have to write the, you know, Terminatrix into it. Yeah. Like you could have done it so many other ways and still been able to have them have a disagreement that it's just, it's stupid. It's insulting to the audience. It makes no sense. It is completely indefensible. And I hate everything about that decision. It is so weird. Like, Especially to have Sam talk to his dad about how devoted he is to Michaela and then literally miss their first web date or whatever it's called. To go to some party. And, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, With uh, guys he doesn't even like. Yeah, yeah, there's just a lot of it that's dumb. And the entire college thing just feels like forced. Like, mm-hmm. it, they're, 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 I mean, Outside of Michaela being willing to fly however far she did for Sam, why did she? What is the point of him going to college? Well, that too. But why does he? Why does he need to go to college? All the story points that they use that for. That you know, there's a Transformers tracking him down. He's somewhere else. He's in a different place. He's becoming a man. His parents are accepting that he's going on with his life. All of those things could have been told without him going to some dumb college and having some, you know, whatever that Transformer is called. The Decepticon lady with a whip for a tongue that tastes like diesel. Like what? There is nothing. And and going to college and like his parents unpacking for him. And we already talked about the weed brownie. Like there's just that entire sequence useless. Doesn't drive the story in any way. It's to it's to meet his roommate. Like so they can get to Robo Warrior. But again, like it's. But why do you need that character? Right. It's done in a way though that is like. It's not. There's just so many inconsistencies. Like, number one, you probably like I remember like back for seeing this movie. I never thought about it, but it's like this girl would never like we should have known that something was up because it's like that girl would never come back to him like he like, (laughs) you know, she gets her face smashed by Bumblebee. Like, so if Bumblebee doesn't know she's a Decepticon. He's literally just like he is beating the tar out of that woman in the car. Like he slams her face against the dashboard multiple times, which is rude as shit. Like when you <laughs> like like there's that. But why she wouldn't? Why would she come back to Sam? Like she gets out of the car and ends up walking away. And then the very next time she sees Sam, we're supposed to think she wants to sleep with him. Like I. I don't know. I just, I don't understand. I don't understand it. You know, so much of it, it just feels like it's unnecessary. You know, Harrison was saying, why, why do you need to have him in college? Like, why, why do you need his roommate as a character? Like, other than to to introduce the fact that there's a whole transformer truther underground, you know, Mm -hmm. QAnon sort of like setup going on. You could have done that so many other ways. The, the pot brownie scene should have been cut. Like that should have been a deleted scene on the Blu-ray that should have yeah. never made it in the movie. It's terrible. It does not move the story along at all whatsoever. Oh, I got it from the boys with the dreads. You don't see the white boys with those like, oh, OK, <laughs> it's a terrible line. Like, you know, so much of this college scene, it looks like it was written by somebody who never went to college, but watched American Pie and thought <laughs> that must be what college is like. I'll write it mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. And yeah, it, like it, I, sorry, I, again, why, why did she fly Harrison? Because the parents just drove him to college. So why yeah, is it driving? Why is it driving distance for them? And then they have that st- again, like you have a scene only to defy 
logic because, oh, you're carrying everything. Like the guy would have heard that Decepticon in the fricking box and she puts her foot on it is like, nope, everything's fine here. It's like, no, I. Yeah, what the heck? And, and who puts their foot on their luggage? Like, oh, yeah, you know, let me just get a stretch in real quick. Right. Like, because well, they have to show that she's wearing high heels. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Why is she wearing high heels? Like, like, that's a terrible idea when you're flying. Yeah. But yeah, this is post 9 11. How does an alien robot who's, we already see, uh, immediately grows guns and missiles and everything? Mm-hmm. How does that get through TSA? Especially when you open the movie that the way they the, the Nest team finds a Transformer is by like a. A, a heat signature of some kind like the equipment that your luggage is definitely scanned with <laughs> uh, that transformer doesn't emit anything I, I don't know and then i mean there is some consistency when they do go for a run she's holding the heels so like yeah i was waiting like is she running in heels they did have the consistency to have her actually take off her heels but why is she in heels in the first place? i i don't know also in the beginning um when that first battle scene's going and they're like rc twins so that's where there's you, three of them. Well, that's where you get the, you know, the the racist popsicle truck transformers. But they say RC twins. And yeah, there's three bike transformers that you never see again. In that opening scene, you never see the that triplet bike transformer ever again. Like, no, are they all RC? Like what? Right. Well, I was like RC twins. I'm like, OK, so was he talking about the the two cars or is he like because three is not twin like I, I i don't know those those characters are beyond terrible um they're so there, bad there's a scene um there's actually a pretty effective scene where sam is showing the full weight of the catastrophic deaths that have happened because of him we it's actually a pretty well shot scene. It's a well acted scene. There's not a lot of dialogue. You just see him coming to terms with it. And that's immediately followed by the twins being awful and stupid and trying to be funny and trying to yuck it up. And it's it's there's a, Shakespeare did this eons ago, uh, hundreds of years ago, I guess where he'll give you in his tragedies like Romeo and Juliet's a really great example of this because he'll give you this scene where it's super dark, super heavy, you know, very, very wordy. And then immediately followed by a very light, very, you know, goofy kind of scene with a lot of quick wordplay back and forth. And he kind of offsets some things like that a lot. Um, this is not Shakespeare. <laughs> this is not. <laughs> Hold on. Breaking news. Michael Bay is not Shakespeare. Um, but it's it's the juxtaposition of that actually really kind of heavy scene that was really effective, followed immediately by poorly written, poorly voiced, uh, poorly executed, poorly thought out, um, you know, just goofiness. It's jarring and it and it completely hamstrings the emotions of the previous scene that were actually well done. There, there's so many scenes like that which is really interesting. Like th- there's this, another scene that I thought of that, that isn't necessarily that thing, but where you get something good immediately followed by something really dumb. Uh, the scene where John Turturro is arguing with the Naval officer about clearance. Like I find that entire thing hilarious. John Turturro is like just owning that dialogue. And it's funny it, to me It's entertaining. And then you just get like these super generic wide shots of more Decepticons showing up. And it's like, how is everybody not dead? 
Like mm-hmm. this dude's sitting here arguing with a naval officer and there's just Decepticons showing up everywhere. Like this is over. But then it's not over. And it, it, it's just weird that it like ch- tries to give heaviness to scenes and then just immediately does things that just makes you feel like things are surrounded by plot armor or, or just conveniently presented for to, to get to the next thing. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. I, I have a question, Harrison. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose it to you and maybe both of you see something that I didn't see. But so when they when they meet John Turturro's character again, uh, you know, Robo Warrior and everything like that, they talk about, OK, here's the symbols in the head. Like, I actually kind of like some of that because the Transformers have been here. I think some of them stayed, things like that. I'm like, OK, yeah. That part, I think, makes sense. But, well, okay, the energy on source predates them. We'd have to talk to a Decepticon. Okay, I have one. Um, when they go and they, they shine the map, and they're like, closest ones in Washington, D.C., didn't they already establish that they would have to talk to Decepticons to find out about the energy on source? So why are they surprised that Jetfire has a Decepticon symbol, and why would you not check that before waking him up? And then even in the same scene, it doesn't even matter because they're like, it's a Decepticon. They run and hide. He gets re like he gets recharged, and they just run right up to him and start talking to him. So oh yeah, like why did you run and hide in the first place? Like I always felt like I missed something in that scene, and then I'm just like, there's no way because they don't care. So stop thinking about it, but. I just feel like I, I missed a piece of dialogue or something. So I'm like, you hide from him just to go like you hide from him to go talk to him. You're surprised he's a Decepticon just to reveal that he switched sides. Like, again, it just it, it doesn't make sense. And he has to fart out a parachute like. I, yeah. Yeah, His I totally humor is really bad. They when they call out like he's a Decepticon and they like book it like I that was glaring to me like you just talked about how you have to talk to Decepticon you thought you went all this way for an Autobot like I I, I don't know it's it it's insulting to you as an audience like I was paying attention mm-hmm. did you think I wasn't and and then like I like the dialogue where he's like oh no I'm not I don't I chose not to be for the Decepticons like that's kind of fun that's interesting that's a new idea hey I'm here for that but additionally like why are they so afraid of him they assume that this guy who has been here forever however long he's been here is just gonna hate humans like what it, what is our, our assumptions about decepticons like I, I don't know it's just interesting and then why his grandfather is a wheel that transformed into nothing like that is funny and it gets me to laugh every single time the way it's I, delivered i but, did laugh why is he a, like he's a transformer he has to transform. <laughs> so this brought dialogue. me to something that I need an answer to. How did the, so? And again, this is the problem when you start making sequels to movies that go back in time before the events of the previous film. Um, what did Transformers who landed on Earth all those years ago? Um, what did they disguise themselves as before the Industrial Revolution? <laughs> Guns. I guess. I mean, like sticks. Like the the wheel. Yeah. That's why they couldn't do anything else. <laughs> yeah. Like what? What did like before there was you know widespread use of everything made of metal and um you know gears and steam engines and things like that. You know like the Model T. They show the the mm-hmm. Transformers a Model T. Like that's that's kind of funny. But then I'm like, okay, well, 
okay, were they all trains like in right. the in the eighteen hundreds? And then what like what does a transformer in the year like in the dark ages or something look like? You know, it's just, I don't know. It just makes me ask questions that they, they can't answer. I do sort of think that aspects of having a cranky old Decepticon is actually kind of clever. I could have done without the farted parachute, but I think just I think the concept of that character is actually kind of kind of interesting and fun. Yeah, yeah. and I, I like the way he's performed. Whoever I don't know who does a voice for him. Everything he says, I find hilarious. Like, I don't know why, but just the idea of the character and the way that the voice is performed gets a kick out of me. Yeah, I did like his design. Like, I like the fact that he has basically a walking stick because he's really, you know, he's really old and things like that. I like that. Um, So I, I have one more question, too, because they're working with the military and just things to me that don't make sense. I get it. Sam is the main character of the story he's centralized but when optimus is like oh they need to be reminded of our bond with humans and like i'm sorry sam's not that important like he makes sam he denied you in the beginning of the movie well he makes sam super super important like oh this this kid like i get it he helped defeat megatron i i understand but they're already working with humans they're working with the goddamn military this college student there is no way shape or form in any reality where this kid would actually like go in front of like people in the pentagon or something and be like oh yeah by the way the autobots are cool like i don't know what you're trying to do but take (laughs) take my word for it um i'm sorry kid shut up like grown-ups are talking yeah you're already working with humans and why which we'll get to the third act in a second. Why does he? Well, actually, I have an answer why he goes to Transformer Seven. But why in Transformer Seven is he told it has been and always will be your destiny? Like what? Yeah, it just like years ago, before the any before a wit wiki was born, before names were invented, you hid the matrix of leadership to know that eons later, the destiny of Sam Witwicky would be to bring forth the matrix of leadership, like um. A human? I, I, I don't know. Right. Yeah, it, it's not given. It's earned. Okay, sure. Like, whatever. Yeah. Also, so that was... I'm sorry, when they capture Sam at first, you need to get information from him. I, I'm sorry, you have no care for that kid's life when they're swinging that car around. Like, at any second, you don't know that he's going to hold on to that door or... That drop from the helicopter into that building. How are they not all dead? How how would you not be dead? Not only not dead, but you have no broken bones. You have nothing. They just walk away from it. And it the, was terrible. Well, and the way that Megatron smacks him off that platform, like you're getting hit by a giant metal robot hand. Like And then he lands with like a big old bolt right into the lower back. Yes. Like that dude's paralyzed. And that Decepticon, the little doctor one, smacks him in the face with like a claw. And he has yeah, no... How is his face not torn off? No cuts, no nothing. Yeah. Who knows? So, yeah, that was an interesting live-up segment, but it was fun. I, I'm here for it. So, I, I'm just going to say, and also for the sake of shortness, brief, briefness? What, how do you say brevity. that? I think Thank brevity you. is what you want. <laughs> that was what I was looking for. Thank you. Took it right out of my mouth. Do any of you have any binge points? I do not have any, except for one. They actually filmed this at the pyramids. Oh, yeah. Michael Bay loves to talk about that. 
I mean, like, that's pretty cool. I don't know how it many is. people filmed at the pyramids. Uh, and Megan Fox talked about in an interview how that was, like, the coolest location to film at, which I believe it. But it, it's always, like, mind-blowing. Like, how did they – how does Michael Bay pull this stuff off? Like, I mean, he really loves to toot his own horn that he did. But, I mean, like, he did. Not, not many other people have pulled off what he has, but that's the only binge point I have. Yeah, I mean, some of the locations are really cool. Um, again, I think there's a couple parts like it for like a like a binge. There are things in this movie that are totally like YouTube accessible. There's a couple of really cool fight scenes, like the forest fight scene with Megatron. Like I could go back and watch those on YouTube, but that's uh, other than the pyramid location. Um, yeah, it's just. That's it. I, I just read this about the pyramid location. John Turturro was actually allowed to climb the pyramids during filming and one point broke down crying and Michael Bay asked him why. He said, you just don't get to do this in movies. You don't get to shoot in a place that's 4,000 years old. And that's yet, why cool. did his character need to climb the pyramid? There was nothing So about he could be him. beneath the enemy's scrotum. <laughs> yeah, that, but it really didn't serve his needs like he didn't need to do that for what he i was think doing. it's because he needed to get the gps location so that they could fire the rail gun which they only why would you only use that once mm-hmm. uh and suddenly you just have rail guns but and and he needed the gps location so they could target the rail gun you're telling me that nobody knows the gps coordinates of the top of the pyramid that's just like you can't just find that out you don't have a it's satellite like it's the first thing that we, comes up the very first time you ever open google earth it defaults to the pyramids yeah, and their satellite was hacked by uh, Soundwave, so they couldn't figure it out. So they needed him to climb up there with his little Jarman or Garmin GPS. Right, exactly. Um, the other thing that I'll say, I mean, this is bench points. I do like the new Transformers. They, have. they do add a lot of fun Transformers. Like, even though RC was totally wasted, it's cool that they brought in RC for... And, and then Devastator. Like, this, if you're going to do Devastator, having now seen the original and understanding Devastator, this is a cool way to do Devastator. I Like, that made sense to me more this time after seeing the original the animated one that we did a review on that, that I liked that. I thought that was cool. Yes. Yeah, the first time they went to the Megazord kind of transformers. Yeah. And I think um, it was cool animation and um, you know, it, there was a lot of it that worked. Yeah. I, well, the scene with him like sucking up all the sand and stuff like that was, that was really cool. Yeah, that was cool. And, and, and the other thing that I will say about this movie, which we mentioned briefly earlier, the visual effects of this are kind of remarkable for 2009. Like, I mean, it's kind of a bummer because so much of it is wasted, but the visual effects of this are incredible. So moving on to the next segment, lease and likes. I think we've made <laughs> quite a few arguments for this already, but we're just going to be brief and pick one. A least favorite scene. And a favorite scene. If it's not a scene, you can pick a least favorite aspect and a favorite aspect, whatever it is. Matt, we will let you go first with your least favorite. Uh, well, least favorite would be. I really do think the entire, um, robot heaven scene. I think is absolutely terrible. Um, it, it's it's really bad. That's my to to me. That's my least favorite scene. I think it's completely unnecessary. My favorite scene, that's that's really hard. Uh, I would have to say it. it is the forest fight. I think that's really one of the only, like, from, like, even though the warehouse scene is a little bit, like, crazy in the fact that Sam's not hurt, when that battle starts, I actually do think 
that whole thing works really, really well. That would be my favorite scene. So even though they somehow go from the middle of the city all the way out to <laughs> the, the forest in one cut, um, it's a weird cut in the transition, but I do really like that forest fight scene because Optimus is, it really was like the first time that you saw Optimus be like a total badass in these movies. Oh, it's sweet. Like that scene where he rips the dude's face in half. That's sweet. Like I, I, the forest fight, I'm not going to pick as my favorite, but I do like also how epic Optimus Prime is, but also like how, how he ends up getting wrecked. Like that's an interesting way to take it that Optimus Prime is super important and you're just going to kill him in the first act. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm here for taking risks that don't really work in the long term, but hey, that's some interesting. So, um, Rob, do you have a least favorite and a favorite? Um, not to completely just jack what uh, Matt had picked, but the forest scene would be my favorite. I think some of the uh, some of the battle scenes in this are actually pretty good. Um, I, I do really like the brutality of that forest scene. I like that we see Optimus actually cut loose a little bit and actually be a bit of a badass. Um, that was kind of cool. I want to go to a more specific aspect of what I hate about the my least favorite scene. Um, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I really want to talk about how much I hate resurrections in in film and, and television because it completely eliminates the stakes. We all know Sam is going to snort a line of the magic matrix dust and just come back out of nowhere. We all know it. We all know it. We know it. And the movie just drags its feet. It does give us some good moments. Again, like I talked about earlier with Sam's dad, like you can see the pain on his face. You can see the slow realization of what's going on. And it just takes so long for the movie to get to where we know it's going to get to. We know Optimus is coming back. We know we knew Megatron was coming back from the get go. So in this in this universe, in this world, You've completely eliminated all the stakes. You've completely nerfed the threat of damage because you can just bring back to life anybody you want, anytime you want, for any reason you want. And when you do that, uh, and you know, co comic books in general are really crappy about this because nobody's ever permanently dead except for I think Uncle Ben and Thomas and Martha Wayne, and even <laughs> Thomas Wayne is is kind of around for you know the Flashpoint version of Batman. But that's about it. Anybody else who dies, just wait for a little bit and they're back in the next event. Like they're back. Like they've killed off Tony Stark. They've killed off Rhodes. They've killed off like everybody. They've killed off Bruce Banner. They've killed them all off and they're all back. You know, like it's just nobody ever stays dead. And, and that's why when you see a character die in comics now, it has absolutely no effect on me at all whatsoever. Like I'm just like, okay, whatever. I don't care. It means nothing to me. Um, and I just, I hate, resurrection so much for that um so that's least favorite scene is is the whole moment when sam's dead because it's terrible yeah i i mean my least favorite scene is gonna be that as well i do like the performances that it brings from megan fox and sam's parents and just like there's parts of that moment and the emotion that comes from it that really works for me in the way that the third act does but the fact that he has to die and be resurrected i don't like i wish you know, like maybe he can get injured or maybe like the stakes can get kind of extreme where they are worried about his death. Um, but him actually dying and being resurrected after going to Transformers Heaven and being told it's his destiny. Like that, that just really is a one part of the third act that is a is a blaring problem that I have with the third act. Um, obviously, yeah, we really need him going off to Trans Hala to like go see yeah, those guys like we didn't need any of that. And they know his name and they're just. Yeah. 
my favorite it's not a scene my favorite aspect like i mentioned is the third act the third act is extremely anime and very much my childhood imagination like why i claim to be a defender of michael bay is there's something about the way that he crafts a third act and he crafts an action scene around a third act that is just my childhood brain brought to life uh the way that you have like hordes of enemies showing up out of nowhere and like the stakes are really high and like someone has the the hero has to take like this triumphant risk and then suddenly comes back because they're reminded of their love of their family and then like totally just whoops everybody like that, that is, there's just so much about it it's very anime in a fun way uh i think that that Jetfire optimus prime is super fun they're that like and then him going on and just wrecking the fallen like give me your face and just just going berserk on him is a ton of fun um there's just a lot of the third act that is my child and i, I can't explain it but i just it really does bring me back to those moments that my brother and i we spend hours setting up all our army guys or all our toys or whatever toy it is we're playing with. And it, you know, you're playing with the Transformers and the army guys and just the way that that sandbox playtime comes together. And there's not really a cohesive story. There's just those story beats around the action scene that's framed with slow motion is just very much my childhood that it is. It, it works for me in a way that I can't, I, I don't have the words for, um, but it's enjoyable. So that's my favorite. Let's move on to the second and last segment here very briefly, which is Transformers Translation. Talking about the elements of Transformers and Transformers lore in general that does or does not translate to live action in this particular film well. And I'll say that the one that works the best for me is Devastator. I wish that we got more of that type of stuff with Transformers. Like Initially, when I saw the three RC bikes, I thought that they were going to transform into one and that that would be rc do you know what i'm saying like that rc transformed into three individual bikes and then rc came together as one you know humanoid or whatever you want to call it um i like devastator that that was fun and especially i like i mentioned in the, the episode we did for i hadn't seen the original i didn't know what the character of devastator was i didn't know the lore of that and so now knowing that made this fun so yeah, for either of you, are there any particular elements of Transformers that either does or does not translate well? Um, I I just feel like in this movie, there's not a lot that does well. I mean, especially too because of the fact that like we get a Transformer that can generate skin. Um, again, like never to be seen again in any Transformers movie. I'm not really sure how that wouldn't be their best option to win anything um but yeah unfortunately i feel like this movie just i don't know even the the fights with op like even the relationship with optimus and megatron i don't think is really like explored like explored in this movie it takes a backseat you know to the fallen who just kind of wasn't really all that interesting to me um so i i really don't have anything for that yeah, I'll, I'll agree that that again outside Devastator, I would say every element of Transformers lore that they brought over just doesn't work at all, or that was already here from the first movie takes a regression. Like Matt, you point out the the relationship between Prime and Megatron. Like Megatron is just annoying, and the way he's like a coward, and um, 
the Transformers, like it gets even worse later, but they just kind of say, oh, we can make them transform into whatever they want. And there's not really any structure to the transformations that require being a Transformers. And and suddenly Megatron is a tank and a plane. And, and there's just a lot of it. And, and now like Transformers are born out of eggs and they require Energon and Energon sucks out of sun. Like there's just lots of things that just, it just doesn't work because of the way it ha- was handled, which is a bummer. And it's almost like Megatron takes on Starscream's personality. Like as soon as they subordinate him to the number two role, all of a sudden he just becomes whiny and obnoxious and, you know, annoying like Starscream. He does. Um, And Starscream gets even worse. Yeah, he becomes even more annoying. Um, I I think in terms of, you know, just the the lore, you really don't get to explore it much because Optimus spends most of this movie dead and, and he's your guy, you know, like that's, He's he's the guy on the lunchboxes like that's the guy that everybody buys the T-shirt of. And he spends most of this movie not available. Yeah, I was waiting for Matt to pull out a Transformers um, Optimus Prime action figure. Uh, <laughs> He'd have to decide which one first. <laughs> do you have one, Matt? Uh, no, I actually do not. Um, probably everything else but Transformers, but I actually do not have one, so. The one Transformers toy I had that I wish I still had was when the original movie came out. It was these Nerf guns that was, there was one for Megatron and one for Optimus that you could put your hand in and it would be like a plane or a truck. And then you pull a lever on it and it would transform into a gun. And like the gun was like, it was Optimus Prime's hand holding a gun. And the other one was Megatron's hand holding a gun. So it like, yeah, it was cool. Cool toy uh, that I think of every time I think of Transformers. Um, yeah, I actually had the full set to make Devastator. That's the only one that I had as a kid that would actually like make the bigger robot. Oh, that's um, cool. All the ones that they did. Yeah. So Devastator I had and it was they were all like yellowish lime green and purple. Um, but yeah, it was pretty cool. That's sweet. That reminds me. I had a bunch of Megazords Power Rangers. Uh, cool toys. Anyway. <laughs> OK, now this last segment. This was the point of this binge. I this was like what I dreamed of when I started the basement binge, and I am here now, and I'm scared. I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> so this next segment is fall in, where we talk about the messages, meanings, the takeaway. As my dad always said, the moral of the story. And like I said, this this was what I imagined when I started the basement binge to kind of just shove it up my film professor's nose and be like, you know what, you can ha- put film theory and, and emotion and you know art so to speak in anything and and transformers always felt like the most difficult to do with so here we are do either of you have anything um i'll I'll go really quick i think the i think really the only message that you that i think actually works in this movie is the the fact of sam going off to college regardless of whether or not you really needed that in the movie uh, other than like to advance the plot, although you could have had this plot done in a, a bunch of different ways, you know, the fact of parents watching their son, especially if it's, you know, the first person in your family to go to college, I think there's really real emotion there. Him and Mc- Which, by the way, how does a guy who doesn't graduate college afford that house in that city? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, what the heck is you know, his job? He he got something. Um, but like that happening, the way that him and Michaela are gonna try and make that you know, make that relationship work. Um, I even think, 
you know, there's the realisticness of the father telling him, like, dude, you're going to see a lot of things like in college. But you you don't know. But I do also think in the scope of the movie, you know, he's like, you're no different than any other couple. And he's like, except we discovered an alien race together. Like, yeah, that actually makes sense that like. You know, I, I think those there's a level of connection there that we yeah. don't have. Like, I think those things actually work. And then again, later on in the movie, in that final act where, um, you know, the the dad who, you know, showed some emotion in the beginning, but was like, yeah, like you're going away to college, son. My heart breaks for you. But like him just being like, no, we'll go like, we'll all go together. And he's like, you you just got to let me go. And the mom kind of like the roles reversing, like the dad not wanting to let go of his son and the mom being like, we've got to let him do this. I thought there was, I, I thought that worked really well. And I thought that was a very real representation of parents and children. Yeah. I'll say that, that, it, that it's not necessarily like a message where it like has some revelation or like something to say or, or, you know, teach, but just like the theme of, of, family and the family changes and dynamics and caring for your family and the relationship and care and even like not like blood family like a dating girlfriend boyfriend that type of thing like just caring for people and the emotions that come along with that i think is a pretty good theme that appears in the moment in the movie sporadically it's not through the entire film but it, it comes in those moments when it does come in i would i would say uh that it works um there's something else that i was going to say about it that i forgot trying to remember um no that was it rob do you got anything <clears throat> nothing really to add um I, th I think really the the takeaways are like what um both of you have already said it's it, kind of tough to find some meaning in this one um but the moments where you do see those family dynamics are probably some of the most effective moments of this film um and it's not because they're always particularly well written it's mostly just because they're well acted. Oh, well said. I, I agree with that. The, we've talked about Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox, um, but uh, Sam's parents, Kevin Dunn and Julie White, the four of them make these elements work. It's not the writing. It's not. It's an, it's nothing but them and their their performances. So, well said, Rob. Um, I'm surprised genuinely that we do have something for this segment, which was a lot of fun. So. Let's close out this podcast Take by that Harrison's professor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. This Got is him. like, this is just, there's, there's a lot of it that is kind of cathartic because I loved my professor. He was awesome. One of my favorite professors I've ever had period. But, but there were some times where he kind of got on my nerves and like, especially because I was so new to movies and like a love for film that like hurt me because all I had was a love for blockbusters, particularly Transformers. Like in my class, I almost raised my hand and said Michael Bay was my favorite director, like the first day of school, because everyone was sharing their favorite directors. That would have like ruined my college life. But I didn't say that. And so there was a lot of what he said that was like hurt my naive little heart. And so I'm taking it back on him on a podcast that he doesn't listen to. <laughs> uh, so let's reveal the rot. And we all guessed it was Matt. Um, again, to remind you, previous rating we gave before this, I gave it one and a half. Matt and Rob both gave it one out of five. Rating it out of five reels to bring it over from Matt's show. Matt, we're going to have you go last as you're the rotten. I will go first. And this is really, really hard because the third act, I could give like four stars or four reels. But 
there is a whole two other hours uh, of this movie that's connected to that that I've got to reconcile with that. And so I'm going to give it a two. There is so much of it, the third act that's doing the heavy lifting and getting over anything. And the reason it's not quite to a two and a half where it's just like middle of the road is because the majority of this movie doesn't work. And even in the third act, there's a lot of things that don't work, particularly that one glaring thing of Sam dying and going to Transformers 7. Um, so yeah, two reels for me. Half more than I thought because it really, like I said, that third act really worked for me, but two. So Rob, what are you giving it? You know, it's funny, as we were just kind of talking, it's something really occurs to me about this movie. What would Revenge of the Fallen have been with good rewrites? Imagine the the general structure, the the story you want to tell, but give it to somebody like a real punch-up artist. Now, these people exist in Hollywood. Actually, a lot of people don't realize that Carrie Fisher was one of the most sought-after kind of punch-up artists in all of Hollywood. It, she actually had a much more prolific career rewriting screenplays that she's actually not even credited for most of her work right. um, than, than she ever did, you know, as far as, you know, spent time on camera. Um, imagine if somebody who was really, really talented um, at, at reworking screenplays had gotten a hold of this and they shot that movie instead. But they didn't. And this is uh, two reels for me as well. Oh, um, okay. It went up a little bit. Uh, just again, I my expectations were so low. Like it was yeah. it was so much easier to have fun with this movie when you weren't expecting to have any fun at all. Well said. Yeah, that that's what really helped me as well. Um, because, I, again, I'll say the reason that I love Michael Bay is in all of his movies, there's that childish like sandbox playtime that really like touches a a special place within me and I wasn't expecting it to happen in this movie. And so when it did, it like really worked. Um, so yeah, Matt, I assume that you are not giving it anywhere near two reels. So I'm just going to assume that we're right, that you were the rotten, but how right were we? Yeah. Um, my rating has not changed. I give this a one. Um, I think there's, you know, in the, what is this two hours and 25 minutes or something like that? Just like, about, yeah. Um, I honestly, I think you have 25 minutes of coherent storytelling in this movie. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe 30 minutes, um, which I'll, I'll give it one reel. Solid. Um, yeah. So the first movie, Rob and I both gave, Four reels, but Rob and I are on the same wavelength. Right, <laughs> is, is kind of blowing my mind. Uh, but Matt, you gave it three point five, so it dropped two, if not two and a half reels. This was a huge step down. Now, going back to that Rotten Tomatoes scale that I had up earlier, Dark of the Moon goes up fifteen percent. Uh, which Dark of the Moon? What a weird title. Why isn't it Dark Side of the Moon? I'm always writing that. Anyway. They, dark of the they, moon. Even, they say that line in the movie, the dark side of the moon and the yeah. actual original poster did say dark side of the moon. And then they changed it. Yeah. Pink Floyd thing. Anyway, the, so our ratings for that, if you are not subscribed to the basement subscribe, I gave it three reels, Matt, and Rob both gave it two. So looking a little bit better than this. Hopefully it will be fun to do dark of the moon, uh, coming very soon. So subscribe to the basement binge for more transformers, Chaos coming. 
Super briefly, it is very late. I appreciate the two of you being here. Matt and Rob, I want to give the two of you a chance to talk about anything happening in Matt Goes to the Movies or anything that you want to talk about. You could talk about the celery you bought at the store if that so pleases you. <laughs> how how so. did you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I uh, it, it's great to be to be back doing Transformers. I, I actually look forward to re-watching Dark of the Moon. Um, it, it's actually... But before like rewatching both of these Transformers movies, uh, Dark of the Moon was the one that I actually saw the most recent within a year um, compared to all the other Transformers movies. So uh, it'll be interesting to go back and watch that one again. Um, But, you know, just really quick at Matt Goes to the Movies, uh, I will be doing reviews coming up uh, this weekend as we're recording this on a Thursday. Um, for the movie Nope by Jordan Peele, uh, I will be doing one for the Black Phone and uh, DC Super League of Pets. So looking forward to to doing those. Uh, those are three reviews that I'm you told me that you were doing them at the beginning of this that I'm excited for one for DC Super Pets, whatever it's called, to decide if I'm going to go see it. The other two, because I'm too scared to see them, but I'm interested <laughs> in them. And so I'm just going to let you tell me. Because I couldn't, I, I, I considered getting tickets for Nope, and then I read someone's review, and I was just, I cannot. I, I mean, like, I will. Nope. Yeah, it, <laughs> no. exactly. I would have ruined that theater experience for everybody else. Uh, so I'm just going to let you tell me about it. And I will say, too, I am looking forward to uh, Rob and I are actually going to uh, get together and watch the new movie Prey coming out August 5th, which is a new predator movie which i'm super excited for so that'll be fun to to watch that and then do a review and then we're also going to start hashing out a schedule for the uh jason Bourne series <gasps> okay i definitely want to bo- j- join you for jason Bourne. also if i can i don't know when you're recording i would love to join you for prey i'm not like oh. a huge into the predator films i've only seen one maybe two of them but there's something about that trailer that got me excited and i was like okay well, I'm watching it. It's done by the same guy that did 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I don't know if either of you guys have seen that movie, but I absolutely love 10 Cloverfield Lane. So okay. Well, I, I'm really, yeah, uh, absolutely. We'll work out a schedule for, uh, for Prey, and we're working on uh, Born. So we'll get that together. Sadly, I won't be joining you at your house for Prey. That you're, you're a little too far <laughs> away. Uh, yeah, it's not just down the block. Uh, I am personally really excited for uh, the, the rest of the slate uh, of entertainment that we've got to close out the summer. And um, as we were kind of talking before we went on the air, um, we just came off of all the announcements of Comic-Con and everything that we have coming up. And, you know, Harrison, you've kind of mentioned it on your show from time to time, and, and we've talked about it a little bit, just a little bit of Marvel fatigue. I kind of feel like a lot of that is gone now. So much of what's coming up has got a lot of people, us included, reinvigorated for the MCU. Not that I ever like wasn't excited about it, but I think maybe my level of excitement has come backwards. So I just want to throw a quick plug out there to uh, make sure you check out those releases and uh, make sure you stay tuned to both uh, Matt Goes to the Movies and The Basement Binge because you will get all of the recaps of everything MCU in some form or another. Yeah, thank you for saying that, Matt. Uh, or Rob. Um, yeah, I that MCU fatigue is kind of gone with the excitement that came from uh, Comic-Con. So everything that you need to get in contact with The Basement Binge or Matt Goes to Movies or subscribe to The Basement Binge or Matt Goes to Movies will be linked below. Additionally, 
reviews on Podchaser help a ton. Podchaser is completely free, and it's like the IMDb of podcasting. And it's just a great place to leave reviews because you can review each individual episode, which helps out a ton. But that is enough from us. It is very late for Matt and Rob, and I made them not only watch, but then talk about (laughs) Transformers Revenge of the Fallen for too long. Uh, and so I'm going to let them go before our friendship is uh, is hurt. <laughs> so thank you both for joining me. Thank you for having fun with me with these Transformers movies. I am glad that you're both here. So Matt goes to the movies, the Basin Binge, everything linked below. My name is Harrison. That's all for now. Ciao, ciao. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.